Under the radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, right now the political focus is on the 2020 presidential election and the charismatic new members of the 116th Congress. Meanwhile, here at home, the current class of newly elected state legislators is settling in and already making waves. This full hour, we're getting to know three of the Bay State's newest lawmakers, a small sample of the first-time members of the House of Representatives who say they are ready to make a difference in their communities and for their constituents. Joining me now in the studio, Representative Liz Miranda from the 5th Suffolk District. Welcome, Representative Miranda. Hello, how are you today? I'm so glad to have you. Representative Trom Wynn from the 18th Essex District. Hello, Representative Wynn. Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And also with me, Representative Patrick Kearney of the 4th Plymouth District. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> I'm glad to have all of you. So last year, around this time, I had three newly elected officials, a mayor, state legislator, city council person, because I just thought it was interesting for those of us who have been caught up in the races, the races, the races in Massachusetts have had so many, to get just a closer look at some of you who won and are finally in the seats. And so we're back again, this time with all of you from the legislature only, because there's been a lot of turnover there. And all of you represent the newness. First of all, Every single one of you are first-time politicians. You never ran for office before, which is fascinating. And all of you won by huge margins. So everybody should know that you're big winners, not just winners. So congratulations. Let's start, Thank you. <laughs> Let's start that off. Let me start with you, Patrick, because I want to sort of get into everybody's bio so that we have a sense of how that shaped you and brought you to where you are. Last year, I had the second youngest legislator <laughs> here, Andy Vargas, and now you beat him. You're the youngest. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> it's very exciting, but it's uh, meeting people from all different backgrounds, uh, all different districts, and I think it's important to have someone up at the state house that's a voice for the next generation. I'm excited to bring that voice up to the Hill. Okay, well, let's let people know something about you. So you graduated from the Massachusetts Maritime Academy. You've got a military background, and you know a lot about the fishing industry. That's your focus. What about your military experience, if at all, prompted you to say, there's another way I can be a public servant? Well, I think that my background, my four years being in a regimented academy at Mass Maritime and being a part of the regimental lifestyle in the Navy Strategic Sea Lift Officer program at the academy helped shape my leadership ability, uh, my understanding of how important it is to serve the community, the Commonwealth, and the country. So as I graduated and looked to what I wanted to do with my life and how I feel about public, the importance of public service, I thought that commissioning into the Navy was a great way to serve my country. When the state representative seat opened up and my state representative went to go work for Senator Markey, I thought it was a great way to actually start serving my friends, my neighbors, my constituents now. So it's exciting to uh, take the public service into a different field. 
And one more fun fact about you. You had a role model right in your house. Yes. I, uh, <laughs> my mother served in the legislature and uh, we're the first ever mother-son. There you go. You're making history all around. Trying to. (laughs) Okay. All right, Liz Miranda, we know each other because we're both graduates of Wellesley. I know people will accuse me of having many Wellesley people on this show, but what can I say about leadership and, you know, (laughs) what can I say? But your bio, too, really shaped you for this role. So talk a bit about who you are. So I often start my story... uh, by the way, Wellesley Women Rock, right? Yes. <laughs> um, um, start my story in the Dudley Triangle. I grew up in a community that um, there are two movies and a book about uh, because of the resident power that was built in that community to fight back against economic and environmental injustice. And growing up in that environment really shapes my lifelong sort of love of not only uh, working in community organizing, uh, but in youth leadership and uh, creating opportunity for resident-led voice. I grew up uh, in a household where I was one of 11 children, and I suffered a great deal because my mom was a teen mom. She worked all the time in a low-wage job, and my brothers were incarcerated. My birth father was incarcerated, and I lived in a community that was unsafe. And so what I bring to the work here is that I believe that residents should be in government leading um, and changing and modifying and adding voice to policies um, that have been, you know, systematically Mm -hmm. detrimental to our communities, but also getting our fair share of the resources that we deserve as a community. Oftentimes we talk about the social ills in society, um, but I do believe that we should be talking about sort of the root causes of society. And I didn't know I was going to run for office, I felt like I was pushed, um, and I'm glad that people pushed me because I didn't feel unnecessarily worthy of the role until I started to realize, hey, I'm here fighting for resident-led leadership. Uh, what better way to serve my community and my commonwealth than being a lifelong resident of a community that really needs a voice? Tron, when same for you. How your bio shape where you are today and how led you to the legislature? I came to the United States as a political refugee with my family when I was five years old. And as someone who grew up in a working class family with my parents working two to three jobs to make ends meet to provide for myself and my sisters and um, was able to allow me to be the first in my family to go to college and then to law school. They've instilled in me a tremendous work ethic, number one, but also a commitment to public service from a very young age. As my parents um, struggled to make ends meet, they never forgot about their community. They always tried to contribute in some way. And like Liz, I was also a leader growing up in terms of making sure that I went with people in my community to interpret court (laughs) or did paperwork for them. And um, growing up in that sort of environment where we had to rely on community and we had to rely on resources and opportunities, I truly believe that we should have these opportunities and resources available to everyone so that everyone has the opportunity to succeed. After law school, I decided to go into public service again uh, by doing legal aid work with an amazing organization, Greater Boston Legal Services, where not only did I learn how to represent clients in the courtroom as their advocate and attorney, uh, whether it was seniors, veterans, people with disabilities, survivors of domestic violence, children, etc. But I also learned how to advocate for bills to better the lives of my clients and others throughout the Commonwealth. And in doing that work, I realized the power of 
uh, working together, working in coalition, and really bringing different voices to the table. And that's what I'm looking to do as someone who has um, experience advocating for bills on the other side and seeing how little some legislators actually pay attention to the issues that matter to the people. I want to make sure that we change that landscape and that we bring a fresh voice and perspective to the state house. Well, fun fact about you is that President Obama endorsed you during your campaign, and I'm sure people were like, Trump who? <laughs> At that point, right? <laughs> How did that happen? Goodness. <laughs> I'm very lucky in that I have had uh, many opportunities to meet different people uh, around um, the state as well as throughout the country through my previous work, uh, working in coalitions, as I mentioned. And for me, I did the Emerge tr uh, training program for women candidates. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. through the Emerge program, we were trained by someone from Emily's List. I got connected with Emily's List and stayed in touch with the person. And I've always been a big proponent of networking and staying in touch with with people because you never know where you're going to go and you never know where the other people are going to go. And coincidentally, um, someone I um, connected with started working with the DLCC and spotlighted my race. And um, my understanding is that President Obama went through the spotlighted races and chose mine. Well, there you go. There <laughs> you you go. never know. <laughs> well, let me start this way because what you think about as you're running and then after you actually get into the reality of the state house is, is quite different. So I want to get your first impressions of now being on the job for a few weeks. And uh, Trom, just to remind people, you're in the 18th Essex District, and that's four different towns, Andover, North Andover, Tewksbury, and Boxford. Your first impressions being on the job about what this is going to be about in terms of your work there. Uh, my first impression is that this is a job that requires a lot of time and commitment, both to this, uh, the work at the State House, but also to the community. One of the biggest priorities for me for this session is to be available and accessible to the people. So it takes a lot of balancing of my schedule to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do at the State House, but also being very present in the community to answer questions. One of the things that people, I just had my swearing-in celebration in the community yesterday, and one of of the positive feedbacks that I got from folks was that they love that I keep them updated with how things are going at the state house. As we're learning, I'm updating people and letting them know the process. And people are hungry for that because government should not be a mystery to us, to to anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm learning is that I'm unveiling <laughs> the okay. mystery. I even had a video of me getting lost at the state house because you know what? <laughs> that, that happens. <laughs> Very good. Liz Miranda, uh, same thing. Now, the 5th Suffolk District, which is yours, you got parts of all kinds of neighborhoods. You got uh, Roxbury and Dorchester, Mattapan, parts of Fields Corner. You have a lot of neighborhoods in your district. Yeah, so I don't, I don't have necessarily a man of pan, but yeah, I do yeah. have a, a big, really wide stretch of 10 mm -hmm. mini neighborhoods between Roxbury and Dorchester. And I've had a couple impressions. One, uh, this is probably one of the most challenging experiences of my life, but yet the most rewarding. People in my district stop, pull over the car, honk their horn. I've even had people stop me and stop and shop, uh, <laughs> hug me. Some people have cried um, because the second part of the job that, when you're so busy running, you don't realize is how much hope you give people by just affirming with your representation. You know, I'm one of three, only three black women in the entire legislature out of 200 seats, uh, 160 in the House and 40 in the Senate. And 
uh, for a lot of young black girls, my position there shows that anything is possible, right? And so the the second piece is that I've really learned that this is not only, I used to say it on the campaign trail, but it's very real. It is a privilege and a responsibility. And I would echo what Trom is saying about being in the community. I share a lot of information with my district because my district has been mostly disenfranchised from the political process. So information has literally been used as a weapon against them. And so what I find is that they don't know how to advocate for themselves mm. in a way that they should or could. They don't even know what the state rep role uh, really does. So I spend a lot of time in my community sharing. Uh, state reps do four or five things. You know, we, we're legislators, we make laws, we get resources, we champion causes, we do constituent services, we help constituents dealing with state agencies. And putting that in like my five-point platform, it helps people understand how they can utilize me. But I would say that the one surprising thing is the figure it out sort of like feel of the state house. Mm. You know, I kind of assumed that I would walk into the state house and be like a pretty little manual and it'd be like, <laughs> this is what you do, A, B, C, D. <laughs> and almost everything that I've asked questions has been like, well, figure it out, you know? <laughs> okay. uh, and so I've had to rely on, and this is the other way that it's a teamwork. I've had to rely on my classmates other seasoned representatives and senators to really guide me, uh, particularly through the legislation process around what are best practices. We're learning too, and I want the community to understand that we're five weeks in and uh, we're learning and earning our way through the state house. So those have been some interesting things that I've noticed. Okay. Patrick Kearney, your district is the fourth Plymouth, and it concludes all of Marshfield and most of Situate. Your first impressions? So to echo what some of my colleagues said, it's very exciting. It's very challenging. What I committed to do from right when I started running the campaign was to go out and talk to voters. And we're knocking on doors every day, phone conversations, going into people's neighborhoods and asking them what their priorities are. And I think that in the national political gridlock, the national political sentiments right now, a lot of people feel as though that they don't have a voice in government. So when we are going into these communities, when we're having these conversations, when we're going door to door, giving people our cell phone numbers and telling them that they can reach out and that no problem is too big or too small, I think that that gives a lot of people a lot of hope and puts our constituents' faith back in at least a, the state government. What I think is probably one of the most challenging things is to take those issues and we're looking at a 40, between a 42 and $44 billion budget, depending on, you know, our raising of revenues and uh, what we decide to spend money on. And there's 160 reps. And we all have different priorities in the district. And some of our priorities are similar. Obviously, I think all of us support fully funding public education systems. Transportation's extremely important. But things that are affecting Marshfield and Situate, like rising sea levels and climate change, coastal infrastructure, or fishing regulations. Those necessarily might not be affecting communities like Roxbury or Dorchester, but we do have a lot of common issues. The opioid epidemic affects everyone's community. The biggest challenge is having those conversations, finding the common ground, uh, making sure that we're addressing the issues that face everyone that lives mm -hmm. here in the Commonwealth, and then also prioritizing what district needs we have as opposed to what somebody else's district needs are. And there isn't an unlimited supply of resources. Yeah. So we're bringing our community's voice to the Hill 
and bringing that voice to other representatives so that their understanding of our district needs, that's probably been the most exciting but also the most challenging part of the job. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are three newly elected members of the Bay State Legislature. Representatives Liz Miranda of the 5th Suffolk District, Trom Wen of the 18th Essex District, and Patrick Kearney, you just heard him, of the 4th Plymouth District. This full hour, we're discussing their paths to office, inspirations, and goals. You had a very personal reason for getting into the race, Liz, and allowing those people that pushed you to run to go ahead and do it. Um, Talk about that, if you would. Uh, Yeah, so I talked a lot about, and it's been really front and center. Uh, 16 months ago, I lost my youngest brother, Michael Alexander Miranda, to gun violence. He was shot outside of a Boston nightclub. And for most people that know me know that for 15 years of my career, I've worked in providing opportunity for young people, building safer communities, increasing women's voices and immigrant voices in designing communities that were healthier and happier. And my family wasn't immune to this disease of gun violence. And after three months of really in deep depression around thinking about what didn't I do enough of, uh, most people feel that way when they lose a loved one, to gun violence, I finally started to see that there's a way that we can make sure that no other family feels this way. And that was my goal. My goal at first was like, I don't want any other mother, any other sister or brother to have to bury someone with something that's so preventable as gun violence. And I started to look at the the organizations that I had been a part of. So I was like, I've always felt like giving young people jobs was gun violence prevention. So I was like, I've provided hundreds of jobs to young people. Then I said, well, you know, we need therapy. You know, a lot of young people are broken in our communities. What's happening around mental health? Uh, I started to look at sort of the funding streams of how gun violence prevention was being funded. And what I came to realize is that a lot of this stuff from the federal government gets channeled through the state government into our communities. And I was like, one way to end gun violence is changing the discussion about gun violence and particularly urban gun violence in government because oftentimes it is either a gun control issue or it is an issue of public health dollars, right? And sometimes they're at odds because the folks that believe gun violence is a public health epidemic think very differently about the strategies to end gun violence and the folks who think about gun reform. It's a hot ticket item, you know, discussions in our Commonwealth. When you talk about no two towns Mm -hmm. in our Commonwealth, people feel really for their gun rights and there are people who are like, you know, that we think we need to do something and we have tough gun laws. And so I decided to run really in his memory because I know that at the State House, I can be a powerful voice to do the work that I believe is the cause or the root cause of urban gun violence, which is poverty Mm -hmm. and a crisis of youth opportunity. And so if I'm not there to have that conversation and save lives, then it won't happen. And so part of me uh, was using my brother's death as sort of strength to push me when I felt fear about not being deserving or worthy of being in government because I'd never done it before. I used to always think that you had to be a lawyer. Um, (laughs) And I know sometimes I I lean on Trump and my other colleagues Mm -hmm. like, hey, what about this? But I didn't realize that community agents of change are also very valuable at the state house. So I thank my brother, Michael. It's sad that he's gone. But the work that I've been able to do in this last year has been phenomenal. And I find that when you're brave, you teach other people to be brave. Mm -hmm. And so I found a lot of people who've lost loved ones 
reach out to me to say, you being there gives me courage to be a better advocate. And Trump, different kind of personal reason for you. Two years you tried to get your predecessor to meet with you as a constituent, and you're like, what's going on? I'm not standing for this. <laughs> well, I mean, in addition to that, I, like everyone else here, I'm assuming we were all very invigorated after the 2016 election to pay attention to politics, whether it's at the local level, the state level, or at the federal level. And coincidentally, that was also during the time where I started working on legislative advocacy and working on bills you might have heard about, paid family medical leave, earned income tax credit, and tried to reach out to my predecessor. And like you said, he refused to meet with me for two years. And I find that to be very concerning because you can't represent the people if you're not listening to them. But you also can't make informed decisions if you're not listening to people who disagree with you. And that's what I'm looking to do is to listen to both sides and make informed decisions that would improve the lives of my constituents and people throughout the Commonwealth. For me, when I started looking into what the former representative did, I was, frankly, very concerned about his position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That worked. Put too fine a point on it. But yeah, yeah. I was very, yes, um, appalled is the correct word. (laughs) I don't believe that what he stood for represented the values of my community. We're an amazing nation. We should value differences. We should value and recognize the contributions that so many different groups have made to our community, commonwealth, and nation. And that That's what I'm hoping to do. Well, that's what I've been doing with my campaign is to create a welcoming, inclusive community and bringing people in to make sure that all voices are being heard and people feel valued uh, for who they are. And I have been very motivated by what my colleagues have been uh, doing. I'm seeing such passion from my colleagues, and they've inspired me to um, do more and to really pay attention to the nuances. And I agree with what uh, Patrick said earlier about understanding the different districts that uh, each of us represents, because we have such different experiences and backgrounds, and our districts have so much to offer, and they're so different and um, valuable in so many different ways. So, Patrick, it's the same question to you, but if I look at your personal experience, and you're a little bit of a unicorn, uh, not only because you're 23, but you've had military experience and you've decided to run for office. And let's face it, a lot of young people your age, these are two institutions they're not interested in. And so here you are with both as a part of your bio at this very young stage in your life, and you've decided to plow into what you all have alternately called challenging confusing, um, you know, what is happening here, trying to just find your way. Explain why that motivated you, because I don't think a lot of people get that, your age, at least. So I I know that we all had different races and different districts and uh, different situations, different motivators. I have always loved what government can do for people. You know, I always tell a story of being just a, a little kid and sitting at breakfast and, uh, I had a placemat of all the presidents, and we used to. I used to talk with my dad, and we'd we'd talk about you know who would, each president was and what they do, and think about all the different things and the history behind it and the cha- positive changes that they were able to make. So when I, from a very young age, have always appreciated what government can do for people, and I think that I at least personally try to take a few minutes every day and self-reflect as to how I can be my best self and how I can be a man for others. And the other thing that I do in that 
you know, period of self-reflection is I ask myself three questions. And that is, is what you're doing meaningful? Are you making a difference? And are you having fun? And am I giving a bad rep to young people your age no, saying no. that you're, you're, you know? No, that, no, okay. not at all. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think what, when I th- think about those three questions, the military was a yes to all three. And I think that anyone um, that is looking to do some really meaningful things should ask themselves those three questions. And if the answer isn't yes to all three, they should change up what they're doing. As I thought about how I can best uh, answer those questions, how I can best serve my community, I had thought that the military was the best way to do that. I'm still in the reserves and I'm proud to be serving the nation. But when the opportunity presented itself, And in that reflection, I started thinking about the issues that were facing my district. And I know we touched on a little bit earlier, but I live in a flood zone. And I have over 3,000 homes that are in the flood zone in Marshfield and Situate. So excessive flood insurance rates, uh, making it unaffordable for people to live in their homes is something that is in my neighborhood. Climate change, rising sea levels, coastal infrastructure, that affects me. That affects my friends. It affects my family. So when this opportunity presented itself, I thought, what better way to give a voice to the people at the state house and in government than to have a representative who actually faces those same issues as the district? So when I was thinking about those things, when I was thinking about the issues, when I was answering yes to those three questions and remembering my love for government from a very young age. I was inspired. I did some self-reflection, and then I asked my family for their help and support, asked the friends. And uh, what I think was so exciting as the campaign started to build and as we continue to have the conversations with our constituents, social media has been great. People our age are using it more. You know, Liz, Trump, other colleagues, they're using social media to get people excited about government again. And more I, civically engaged. More civically engaged. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I think that my commitment to civic engagement, bringing government to the people and bringing the people to the government is exciting. And that's why I wanted to get involved. And I've been a voice for that in my first few weeks. And I'm going to continue to keep up the pace. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. I'm here with three of Massachusetts' newest state representatives, Liz Miranda, Trom Wen, and Patrick Kearney. We're discussing their first few weeks in office. You know, uh, it was former Governor Cuomo, uh, Mario Cuomo, who said you uh, campaign in poetry and then you govern in prose because you've all talked about the realities of actually being in the state house. But I have to say, all of you have been busy filing bills, co-sponsoring uh, other bills. It looks like corralling your colleagues to get on your team with your particular issues. And I want you to talk about some of the issues that you have been involved with. I know, Patrick, you we were just speaking about flood insurance and understanding this rising sea levels. You were one of the the people that sponsored the bill to pay the Coast Guard workers who were unpaid federal workers yeah. during the shutdown. Because you know, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I started to think back to what I was saying earlier with the national gridlock, whether it's the president, Congress, the Senate, we have people that are a part of our United States military on active duty, uniformed uh, service personnel, uh, TSA employees. They are Homeland Security. They protect our biggest borders, the oceans. They serve as port security. They keep us safe. So I was talking with a colleague of mine, Maria Robinson, and we started— From Framingham. I should say she's one of two Asian-American women in the state legislature. I'm here with the other one. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And we were just— Friday afternoon, we were having a conversation. We said, you know, why aren't these people getting paid? What can we do about Mm -hmm. it? We sat down. We 
two hours, we wrote a bill and, and we said, you know what, we'd like the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to be able to pay our active duty members of the Coast Guard while the federal government is shut down. And uh, I think that that is what's so exciting is that we actually have the ability to write a bill to do that. So, yeah, the co-sponsorships, the, the bill writing has been great. Everything from trying to lower LLC fees to, to help small business communities to having conversations about gun violence, health care. There's a lot of cl- new uh, climate change legislation that's out there. So it, it's been exciting, I think. I've written a little more than a dozen bills, and I co-sponsored, I think it was like a little over 250. Well, if there's an example of how there can be an issue around which you all can have different constituencies' needs, but you're all on the same page, it's the Green Bill, MA. All three of you are part of this new group that's saying, we've got to get some renewable energy by, I think it's 2050, and you all signed on to it, but you have different reasons coming to it from your, you, uh, we know yours, Patrick. Yeah. Liz, what's your reason for being on the Green Bill? I think mm-hmm. primarily because I grew up in an environmentally unjust community. The Dudley Triangle was the reason why the residents fought back and don't dump on us was that we had illegal trash transfer stations. We had dumping of raw raw meats and cars. We had arson for profit. We had redlining. Any uh, one of the, the social ills that we had, and oftentimes the the conversation around environmental work skips urban communities or poor communities or immigrant communities, and we're the original environmental warriors, and I feel really strongly about that, and that's why I also filed some EJ environmental justice bill. We are consistently polluted. We have five times the asthma rate. Um, when you talk about Our life expectancy drops 30 years from the back bay to Roxbury. Uh, It's unacceptable. And so for me, it's being part of the conversation. And I've loved what I've seen at the federal level is that I've, I've talked to a lot of my environmental champions who are looking at some really progressive legislation to remember that there is equity in everything or need for discussion about equity in all pieces of our work. Um, I, and I different jo- perspectives yeah. on, on the same issue. Yeah, and I, yeah. You know, yeah. I joked yeah. with some of my progressive friends. I was like, you know, sometimes y'all get a little elitist, you know, <laughs> check the privilege. Um, because sometimes, you know, when, when they're talking about wetlands or they're talking about wind energy or solar, I want them to understand that they need to break it down particularly for communities that have been systematically left out of the conversation. Uh, we have been polluted on and with, but yet we haven't been part of the table. And and I'll add that like, one of the best parts, I've learned so much in five weeks about things that I would have never really realized. So, for example, my priorities, I knew that I wanted to come in and change the conversation around gun violence. I knew that housing and affordable housing was an incredibly important issue to the rapidly gentrifying Roxbury and Dorchester communities. People cannot afford to live there. But what I didn't know was that I would learn so much about maternal health and learn that I, my community, my um, representation is four to eight times more likely to die during childbirth or before childbirth or after. That was one of those things that I learned. And then I said, you know what? I cannot afford, I do not have the luxury to sit back and not be a champion uh, for this issue because I am a black woman. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if I want to keep us alive, I want to work on that. Mental health. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when we look at issues, uh, we don't talk enough about how not being emotionally well impacts all the other issues, education, uh, workforce, housing. And so if we want people that are healthy who can advocate for themselves, we need to be able to have a conversation that is across our entire right 
Commonwealth. And I would echo the opioid crisis, and I would say this, because I represent a piece of mass cast, the face of the opioid crisis is changing. We've had six new HIV cases. We have a sore in our city right now uh, with that corner of our city where majority of the people are going to get uh, the Suboxone and the methadone that they need to be in their recovery and they're going to work. And we have a small uh, homeless population with nowhere to go. And we know that homelessness is on the rise 14%. And so these are issues that affect the entire Commonwealth. Although that they're happening sort of visibly, in front of folks that are getting off exit 18 and seeing that, and for the residents who live right off of Mass Ave, whether they live on the South End, South Boston, or Roxbury, everyone is impacted in our state. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to learn about the different issues and be supportive, but at the same time find issues that tie us all and having a progressive stance on helping to solve them. Well, you led me to where I was uh, going, which is to really get all of you um, on board describing your specific district initiatives, TROM, as well as I want to get your take on the Green Bill. But before you do that, let me go to break, and when we come back, we're just going to dive into all issues. So coming up, trials, triumphs, recalibrations, we continue our discussion with three of Massachusetts' newest state legislators about their first days in office. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. This full hour, I'm sitting down with three of Massachusetts' newest state representatives, Liz Miranda from the 5th Suffolk District, Trom Wynn from the 18th Essex District, and Patrick Kearney from the 4th Plymouth District. And let's jump right back into the conversation. Before we took a break, uh, Trom, um, I wanted to know about your involvement with the Green Bill, because as I've said, it's universal to all of you in terms of support, but it, you have very specific reasons from your district. And also then you can transition into what you've been focusing on um, since you've been in the, uh, the state house. I was very excited to sign on to the bill. Environmental issues has uh, been a big uh, a top priority since um since the beginning of the campaign, because given the makeup of my district, we have Boxford, we have uh, North Andover, Andover, and Tewksbury, and um, Boxford still relies on well water. <laughs> so we mm. need to talk about um, the environment and clean water. We have the Merrimack River going straight through the district. But as I'm sure you all know, we had the gas crisis that happened right in my district, uh, impacting North Andover, Andover, and Lawrence. And this really has motivated people and invigorated people to pay attention to renewable energy and how we can get away from fossil fuel. And um, I mean, this ties in very well with your next question. Some of the bills that I've been focusing on are, um, are to make sure that, number one, we keep utility companies accountable to make sure that this doesn't happen anywhere else throughout the Commonwealth. But also, I want to give autonomy back to the towns so that they can deal with resiliency and making sure that we are equipped to deal with climate change, to deal with any other crisis that may come down the line, because we saw 
during the gas uh, gas crisis, what happens when utility companies are deregulated. Yes. <laughs> and um, so th- that has been some of my focus, but also other bills that I've worked on throughout the campaign. Again, it was the opioid crisis that was top of the line, common sense gun safety. We need to talk about um, education funding, but also reproductive rights and making sure that women have the, uh, we keep our rights to choose to do what, what we need to do with our bodies. And I, I'm very um, committed to addressing issues, especially violence against women, because I was an advocate uh, for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault for a very long time. So one of my bills is to make sure that victims of violent crimes and trafficking have access to justice, for instance. And I, as I said earlier, I'm very committed to making sure that we create an inclusive and uh, welcoming community for all. And that means that we need to fight against discrimination. So one of my other bills is to, um, to make sure that we protect people against discrimination against Uh, height and weight, for instance. Mm. And as someone who did a lot of work with uh, low-wage workers as well, some of my bills are to make sure that workers understand their rights and are protected. So uh, some of the bills are to basically make wage laws um, um, more harmonized. But uh, other bills uh, seeks to protect injured workers so that everyone can uh, claim workers' comp and be compensated and so that they have the resources that they need mm-hmm. to go back to work and uh, live fulfilled lives. Um, 6,000 bills filed this session. Over 6,000. <laughs> uh, so over 6,000 bills. So, you know, you really have to focus and know where you stand and, wh- and who you're representing and where you're trying to get to. I just want to put that on the table so people know what you're doing. I also want to put on the table that you all have a different vibe when you came in. You did not come in, even though you might have been challenged about where to find stuff and how to do it. And, you know, uh, Patrick Kearney, I hear you're in something called the bullpen in the basement. They put That's where they put your newbies. Um, and, and you're still doing it. You're shaking it up. By the way, are you junior Seth Moulton? You challenged the House leadership the moment you got there, Patrick Kearney. Uh, He lost and you lost, but you've said already that's not going to stop you from revisiting some of the rules that you feel need to be addressed. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think that um, politics is all about people and it's all about relationships. And I think that in very recent times we have gotten away from um, we, we've played into what kind of we want to see when it comes to divisiveness as opposed to having a conversation about what should be happening. And it, it's not personal and it's, you know, it's behind us. Um, I, I didn't take that as no, personal. No, 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 I no, I, I'm, I'm You're so, not going for the status no, quo. I, I'm, 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 not for the, I'm not for the status quo. <laughs> right. And that's I, what I, I'm uh, getting on the table. And, and that's all about, and I, and I lost that <laughs> fight. And, and, and that's, I don't t- take that personally. And I don't, uh, and it's not personal to anyone that, that is in, in the, in the chamber. But when you start talking about things of, um, how we address the issues, mm-hmm. um, it's important to talk about, um, why they do get addressed or why they don't get addressed. And I think it's important to talk about what, um, much like we talk about the environmental injustice or we talk about why gun violence is happening, you know, uh, maybe it's inadequate, you know, mental health services, maybe it's inadequate education. Um, when we talk about why bills may or may not pass, you know, I, I think it's important to have an open discussion about how the House, um, has and may continue to operate. So it's, um, 
you know, it's it's not necessarily about uh, challenging uh, Democratic leadership to make a name. It's important to talk. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I know, I know, you didn't say that. <laughs> okay. But I, I think, I think okay. what um, the public conversation around <laughs> Seth's challenging of of, right. of the speaker talks a, a little bit about maybe making a national name for himself That's for not a president. What I mean. No, for a presidential I'm just run. I'm on the table then. None I, of you I, at this table I am just talking, are willing to just go with what has I, been there. And I and I'm just talking about doing what I think is right and vote my it. conscience. And I think that when it comes to uh, the processes of how we address the issues, that's part of the conversation of how. I, and I, uh, you know, I I think that I got uh, it. No, and yeah. I just want to put on the table that you are a term limits mm-hmm. person, and you're yep. about getting rid of that non-disclosure agreement for which taxpayers are paying, uh, so that uh, women who uh, may have been sexually assaulted, you know, agree to not talk about it forever. Uh, personally, I think that's right on. What are we talking about here? That's our money trying to shut people up who have been sexually assaulted. So yeah, the speak com- up. The conversation, the com- the com- <laughs> Representative Kearney, I'm the not com- mad at you. No, the, 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 the conversation, um, you know, is definitely. I'm, I'll, I'll always stand with victims. Um, I think it's important that their confidentiality is respected, um, and if that, you know, the discussion I think was um, around. The use of those agreements being part of um, the the House of Representatives being a part of those agreements. Right. Um, you know, the conversation is different in the private sector between uh, an employer and an individual. Uh, I'm just of you know of the opinion that pu- the the public uh, and the public's house shouldn't be part of it. Uh, and I think that it's important to have that conversation. I'm with you. Um, likewise, Liz Miranda. You know, you came in saying um, it's going to be about gun control. I'm going to be watching where that money goes. I'm going to see what 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 communities have gotten it in the past. I note that the governor has just. Uh, released them Shannon uh, Community Initiative Grants. Did that go to organizations in your community? That's to prevent gang violence. That's sort of white in your wheelhouse. Um, are your constituents being served by that new initiative? Well, what's interesting is it's really cool. Like, what I really love is every time I hear my colleagues talk, I'm like, yeah. Um, for me, you know, people often told me that there was an inside game and an outside game. I don't like games, period. But um, the thing I do understand, did I did understand was that um, if we want our Commonwealth better and stronger, we need more voices at the table. And so for me, I've been focusing a lot on what people would perceive to be the outside game, but more about educating, mobilizing, teaching advocacy so that my residents know how to utilize me. Mm. Um, and specifically, like when you think about gun violence prevention funding. Mm. Um, so at the state house, uh, usually gun violence stuff ends up in two different committees. It, it ends up and, in the yeah. public safety and yeah. homeland security uh, committee or it ends up in public health. Um, the Shannon grants are specifically sent to city governments uh, through uh, police departments. And so I I applaud the efforts to um, deal with the homies uh, mm-hmm. that are in these organized groups. I refuse to use the word gang mm-hmm. because I believe that the way that we have systematically profiled uh, black and brown young men mm-hmm. has been taken, you know, like I remember Nikki Giovanni said, if Tupac was a thug, then I'm a thug. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how I feel. I feel like as we name, we put these labels on these young people before they've even matured, then if they're gang members, then I'm a gang member, right? Mm-hmm. I remember growing up on Woodward Avenue and a police officer telling me that I lived on the most dangerous street in Roxbury. And I said, how? There's eight houses here. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody's grandparents, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so for me, it's about 
if we're funding that process, if we're allowing police departments and uh, city governments or town governments um, to take these valuable resources and help um, shape uh, gun mediation or remediation or, or or those policies, we need to closely be looking at what how are we funding youth development, mm-hmm. how are we uh, funding emerging adults. Uh, because if you look at the the list of perpetrators and the list of people who are victims. They're most likely between the ages of 18 to 24. And you can geographically point out what communities are the most violent. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it's widening the conversation and also being inclusive that there is a school to prison pipeline. Uh And I would argue that there's another pipeline that we don't talk about enough, which is sort of the system to system pipeline. So young people who are in foster care, young people who are in juvenile detention, the likelihood of them dying or uh, being incarcerated. And so I spend a lot of time trying to create this sort of trifecta of conversations because you cannot talk about one issue alone. So, I mean, my point is to all of you, you're all shifting the conversation in the way you did not come to play the same way. Uh, That's my guest, uh, Representative Liz Miranda of the 5th Suffolk District. Uh, Trom, when um, your family came and we're refugees. Now, there are some issues going on around uh, refugee treatment, green cards, deportation, all of these things that much of it goes to the federal government, but a lot is passing through to the state government. And I imagine you have a lot to say about this. Well, not only that, I did immigration work as <laughs> mm-hmm. an attorney for mm-hmm. quite some time, too. So this has been a focus of mine, and I am very I'm paying pay- very close attention because given everything that's happening at the federal level, we do need to step it up as a state to make sure that um, that we are protecting a, a commonwealth where people feel safe and people feel like they could go about their daily lives without um, with without fear of retaliation. And um, I think that we need to go back to talking um, to really having conversations and dialogue to decrease the hate. The hate is a big problem. And we should not be directing hate against particular group of people. That's not what I believe in at all. And right now, I feel like that's what's happening um, to immigrant communities. And I'm a firm believer that immigrant communities have contributed (laughs) greatly to our commonwealth and our nation. Uh, But going back to your earlier point about um, I think Patrick mentioned this about, you know, decreasing the divisiveness and really having conversations. And like you said, we came in here uh, to shake things up and not to continue with the status quo. But we all came from very different backgrounds and understanding and perspectives. Um, Going back to the earlier point with the non-disclosure, for instance, I have been an advocate for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault for many years. And I'm always going to stand on the side of victims. But in this particular case, this is uh, um, we have have a policy in place to allow victims to initiate. It's a victim-only initiated um, non-disclosure agreement. And as someone who's worked with um, certain groups where if you leave it up to them, they cannot go to court to get a non-disclosure agreement. And so we come from very different perspectives. But again, it goes back to hearing both sides and making informed decisions. And that's what I'm going to continue to do in this position. 
What will you, um, let me just say, if you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. My guests are brand new state representatives. That was Trom Wynn, you just heard. Also Liz Miranda and Patrick Kearney. And we're discussing the trials and triumphs of their first few weeks in office. How will you measure your success? Um, and by that, I don't mean particularly a bill or two. It may be that. But but in two years, uh, when you may be reelected or you may do something else at the end of your of your first term, how will you look back and say, OK, this happened and I, I know it happened because um, I was here to to deal with it and I feel good about it. So I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Trom. How, how will you measure your success? I measure my success by number one is how um, how much I can get done for the district. For a very, very long time, my district has not been fully represented because we had someone at the state house who literally just said no to everything without giving um, without giving himself or others an opportunity to see uh, both sides of the argument and actually working collaboratively um, with colleagues to move things forward. And By the way, he never filed a bill, right? No, he filed many well, bills. He never passed one. Okay, go ahead. All right. <laughs> yes. Um, snap, snap. But also, he, he was the only one to vote against the entire budget. This is money going to the district. I mean, we're talking about um, how to divvy up the pool of money. I mean, it's a finite amount of money among the different districts. And I want to make sure that I am I have a seat at the table, that I uh, am there as part of a discussion of how to make uh, how to bring the money back to the district. But also um, going back to being available and accessible to the people. I have had office hours every single week since I started, and people know to t- know um, just like what Liz said earlier. The five things or more that representatives are supposed to do, people have a better understanding of that now. They know when to turn to their reps, and they know how to get in touch with their rep. I find that to be a success because that's what we're supposed to do—represent the people. Mm-hmm. Liz. There's a couple ways. Um, speaking about immigrants, you know, I decided to, you know, my way of, of disruption was to take a risk on being the person who filed and co-filed with Representative Ruth Balzer, the Safe Communities Act. Um, and this is not a question for me around whether you think undocumented people should go back to their country or not. I just think that it's not the job of our police force to engage with, with ICE and profile individuals in our cities and towns Um, because a lot of times we focus on what's happening on the border but it's happening Mm. in our streets and towns every day I um, have the misfortune of the last case of a young person 21 years old being picked up inside of one of our courtrooms was a constituent and so I've been working Mm. tirelessly this is my second ice case in the last week uh, week and a half that Mm. I've had to deal with because of this disenfranchised community so I'm measuring my success on the Safe Communities Act and making sure that people are more aware of what it is and what it isn't. But I would say that the more important, well, not more important, but equally as important is, do I have more engaged residents? Uh, is the quality of life improved? We have a 20% unemployment rate. We have a 36% poverty rate. We have a 50% foreign-born population and a 62% female head of household. Um, and we also, if we're not the most... Uh, 
community that's had the most violence were definitely top three in the Commonwealth. And so I have some really serious uh, problems and a very vibrant base that I'm trying to figure out, like, can I improve their quality of life um, by not only doing my job better, but forming coalitions with city government officials to say, how can we um, treat this community better? And so for me, at the end of my two years, if people are healthier, they're happier, our community safer, and some of those bad things are sort of decreased, even if it's by 2%, mm. I would know that like part of uh, what I've done to help people advocate for themselves is what's going to make me uh, get back into office for another two years and God knows how much longer. So mm -hmm. that's how I'm measuring success. All right. Patrick, how will you measure your success? So I think every day I think about the people I represent and I think about my commitment to them when I ran the race and, you know, uh, my commitment to them on a daily basis. And I think about all the issues. Uh, I'm committed to working families, unions, um, addressing the problems that we that, that society faces and and district needs, um, you know I have brown water coming out of the taps in Situate. Uh, Aaron Brockovich talked about how the water coming out of some of the taps in Situate is worse than it is in Flint, Michigan. Um, so when I think about measuring success, I think about my attitude every day towards my commitment to my constituents, and if I am ever not interested, if I am ever not as committed as I am right now, I'm not going to be in the job anymore. But every morning I wake up, I look myself in the mirror, and I think to myself, how can I make my community and how can I make this Commonwealth a better place? And I don't, I think that a lot of the time we have conversations about why things are happening, and I like to think about how we can have them not happen. And so I think that my commitment and my focus has been to listen uh, to give my cell phone number out to, um, you know, invite people over to up to the state house, to my, you know, district office, to the senior centers, to the libraries, to increase civic engagement. And if I can look around my community and say, I've at least made this place a little bit better, uh, that's how I'll measure my success. And finally, last word from each of you, so much bad rap about government, period. People are like down on government. What would each of you say? Give me just a sentence really quick about effective government and, and why you think it works. I'll start with you, Trom. I, well, I've seen um, how government could be, um, could be used for positive change because my colleagues at GBLS, we worked on bills that we knew would improve the lives of people. And that, that's, that's Greater Boston Legal Services. Yes, Go ahead. Greater Boston Legal Services, yes. <laughs> Gerbils, as some may call it. Uh, but I've continued on um, with that same mission in mind is that every single bill that I look at, I, I ask myself, how would this help people? And I do want to put in a plug for younger folks to get involved. You are the future. And... I had so many younger people, 16, 17-year-olds, who couldn't even vote yet, yet they were engaged because they knew that if they come together, their voices are louder and um, and stronger together. <laughs> well, well, that's why I'm asking you all, make the case for good government. Um, uh, Liz? <laughs> uh, I think shortly, like, the understanding that we the people means we the people. Um, the state house and is our house. And so for me, um, there are not enough women, there are not enough people of color, there are not enough working 
class people and so in government period and so if you're um, I actually like to think that this generation is really inspiring me because uh, you know, I'm in my late 30s and I'm finding that people in their early 20s are are speaking up they are pushing the limits and they are holding government accountable and I think that we need to deepen the bench um, in government like in many industries we're aging and uh, we need a new crop of folks to say what we see as we the people uh, means that we have a place that we can call home and have government work for us. So I just want to remind folks that it does belong to you. Patrick? Yeah, if I can um, pretty much reiterate what, what they had to say, democracy is really uh, you know by the people and for the people. And what's important is having a voice. Anybody can run. It's uh, anyone can put their name on the ballot. So um, it's important that when you're running and you're talking about the issues in the district that you stay committed to that and you have the courage to do so. Uh, and that you at the three models of the Navy honor, courage, commitment to do, you know, have uh, uh, people in government that are uh, honorable, that are uh, courageous to vote their conscience and continuously committed to their people. And, and I think that um, that's what the three of us are, are committed to in our first few weeks of being here and we're going to continue to 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 do that so um i i encourage everyone to to stay involved in the process to stay civically engaged to uh to take interest in in how government works and how it does may not work for them and if they think that it's not working for them to get involved all right. Well, I'll see you around this table in about a year or so, and we'll see <laughs> see how you answered some of these questions. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Liz Miranda is the Massachusetts State Representative from the 5th Suffolk District. Representative Trom Nguyen is from the 18th Essex District. And Patrick Kearney represents the 4th Plymouth District. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show, links to stories we discussed today, and bonus content on the web at wgbh.org news. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Callie Crossley and like us at Facebook.com slash Under the Radar WGBH. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Francisca Monahan is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. <laughs>